you. If you don't own a Bible, we'll be giving out the New Living Translation here in the sanctuary. Um, and again, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we, we want to be able to bless you with one, make that possible for you. But hopefully you've got one with you here today. And uh, we'll take a look at this. We're in our series in the book of Romans called Made Right, because what we're learning is that uh, the just shall live by faith. And it's faith in what God has done for us, not what we can do for ourselves, as the series uh, makes clear there. The text that we're in here this morning is just a few verses here in the book of Romans in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 14 through 17. And I titled this morning's message, Who's Your Daddy? Who's Your Daddy? And uh, the reason I did that is obviously it's, it's one of the most profound uh, messages of the Apostle Paul, this theme, you know, through the book of, of Romans here. How many remember, by a show of hands, the movie Remember the Titans, before we get into this? You saw the movie Remember the Titans. Yeah, a lot of you have. And it had a, had a scene in there, if you remember, that was based on a true story. It, it depicts the, the um, uh, racial tension of, of a high school, T.C. Williams uh, High School from a town in Alexandria, Virginia. And uh, this back, it was in 1971, where there was court-ordered, uh, you know, um, integration began, forced busing, you could say. And um, so to help the, his, his school, he was a, a black, Herman Boone was a, a black uh, head coach who was uh, chosen to lead this uh, school that would be integrated. They were going to introduce uh, black and white students together. And uh, there was a lot of racial tension in their, their town. And um, so to kind of help, uh, you know, bring the team together, uh, and, and again, it's based on a true story, Coach Boone, uh, he decided that what they needed to do to eliminate the distractions was to get out of town. And so he took the team by bus up to uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for two-a-day practices. And if you saw the movie, you know, you, you saw how that uh, began to roll out. And the scene in the movie, it's really funny, before they get on the bus, uh, Gary Belter who was uh, a, truly, he was a high school All-American. Um, he was white. He approaches Coach Boone before they get on the bus, and he says that he wants to lay down some ground rules for him. He says, you know, I'm Gary Bill Terrett. He says, I'm the only All-American that you've got on this team, if you remember that from the movie. He says, uh, if you want any of us to play on this team, he said, you need to reserve half the spots on the offense and the special teams for us. Okay. He says, we don't need any of your people to play on defense. That's already set. Imagine how that would go over. You know, you're the head coach. And uh, Coach Boone looks at Gary and he says, Gary, he says, are your parents here? And Gary looks over to his mom and he points at her. And, and Coach Boone, in the movie, you see, he nods at her and he, he acknowledges her. And he says, you know, that's good. He says, good. He says, now take a good look at her. He says, because once you step on that bus, you ain't got no mama anymore. He said, you got your brothers on the team and you got your daddy. You know who your daddy is, don't you, Gary? And, and Gary, if you remember the movie, puts his head down and he doesn't look at Coach Boone in the eye any longer. And he says, Gary, if you want to play on this football team, you answer me when I ask you, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy, Gary? Who's your daddy? And he says, you. And he says, and whose team is this, Gary? Is this your team or is this your daddy's team? And he looks at him and he goes, yours. And he says, good. Now get on the bus. He says, put your jacket on, you know, and get on the bus. And you think, you know, it's, it, it could sound like such a harsh thing. You go, but what was he really trying to do? He was trying coach Boone and he did, they went on and they were, they were 13 and 0. they were, they were, uh, uh, 
they, they won uh, the state championship. They were the number two team in the nation that year. But what he was trying to do in the midst of, you know, this hostility of integrating, you know, people together the same way in the sense you can think of as the Lord does himself, you know, with people, um, there was only one way to do that. You have to have a break from the past. So he thought, you know, we'll take them to Gettysburg and we'll, we'll help them create a new identity. And that new identity was this new team and uh, with a new vision, with a new leader, you could say a new daddy. And, uh, and, and, and there's so much when you, you think about that. And I was one, one of the things I love about sports is, you know, sports really is about unity and it's about team. And so it's easy to, to understand the, the way that the Lord would use sports in a person's life. I came to know the Lord through fellowship of Christian athletes. And so it made sense to me, you know, the, looking at, you know, uh, the relationship of a family or a team and then having to lose your own identity for the sake of, of something else, you know, the, that old expression, there's no I in team, right? It's T-E-A-M and, and coaches have to promote that. And so here's the apostle Paul. He's basically doing the same thing here in the book of Romans. I want to read this to you and with you. You can follow along in your own Bible in Romans chapter eight, verses 14 through 17. He says this, the apostle Paul, and I'm reading again from the NLT. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. He says, so you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba father for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And I'm not going to get into that portion of the text. I'm going to deal with uh, the first part of verse 17. We'll, we'll get into what suffering is, you know, in this next week. But, um, Let's take a moment here and we'll pray as we jump into this. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love in our life. I thank you for just a, a sweet time of, of worship to, to really sing about and maybe comprehend in a little bit deeper way what it is to be in your presence, Lord. That, that's really what it's all about. And, and once we experience it, that God, we'd never want to leave it. It's just like I share at funerals and memorial services. If we could talk to the deceased who loved you, and who are there right now, and, and God would say, you can stay here in heaven, or you can go back to, you know, Bakersfield, uh, so to speak. What would you do? And, and Lord, it'd be safe to say 100% of the time, people would not want to leave your presence, because as your word declares, it's in your presence is the fullness of joy. And I pray that that would be ours today, um, just being in your presence, that you're here in this place, you know, as your word declares, wherever two or three are gathered, in your name, that there you are in the midst of thee. But Lord, that you would take it even deeper than that in each of our life, regardless of what our earthly relationship was with our own father, to know that we have a heavenly father who loves us perfectly. And so Lord, we pray that God, you would just use this time that you would magnify and glorify yourself, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things, you know, Larry mentioned, you know, in, in worship, you know, he said that, um, you know, that, at, at times, you know, we can kind of just go through the motions, right? And you can just read the Bible. And he's saying, you know, I, I don't want the, the, the Bible study to just be kind of going back over something. And it really is impossible in one sense to do that um, because of the fact that even if we read the entire Bible, 
And we thought we understood it. In the truest sense, we'd just be scratching the surface, wouldn't we? I mean, you can read it a million times. You know, the Bible says of itself that we see dimly, darkly. We don't, there, there's so much to God. We could, we could have a million lifetimes and, and we'd never get to the fullness of the depth of God. And I hope that that's what keeps bringing us back. You know, like I always kind of laugh when people will say, you know, you talk to people that don't really uh, walk with God or maybe they went to church for a little bit and they go, yeah, I've read the Bible. You know, you go, what did, yeah, it was just a book. I just read, I read it one time. And you go, wow, but there's so much more. And then you think about, you know, I can look out and see your faces at times when, you know, the light comes on, right? You're studying the passage of scripture and, and you maybe have read that passage a hundred or a thousand times. And all of a sudden, God just, he just opened your eyes to it. And you have one of those aha moments, right? And those are the most exciting moments of our life when we have those with God. And, and he wants us to have that. And that's really what Romans chapter eight, he really gets into here as we talk about life in the spirit. Verse 14, I want to look at that with you. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. And, and you know, as Paul opened up the chapter, remember he said, there's therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ, right? In Christ Jesus. And I shared with you that, you know, there's a period there that you're in Christ Jesus. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, that you know, I, I've said it was the most mistranslated passage in all of the New Testament, you know, that there, where God put a period, people, you know, have put a comma, and they say that those that don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, which then puts the burden back on me and you that, you know, uh, if we do certain things, you know, that, and then we get that about our relationship with God, that we start to think that our relationship with God is more about doing than it is about being. And that's what I loved about worship today, because all the songs were a reflection of not something that you do, it's something that you are. It's something that you become, you know, in worship. It's part of a relationship. It's not, it's not a duty, you know. And so, you know, the first thing, when you think about the, the Holy Spirit, and I, I put in my notes here, you know, it's not so much about leading you around, you know, because people will talk about that, like, you know, you, we all have the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you know, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. you. You received the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the day that you got saved. And, and people will talk about, you know, being led of the Spirit. And you'll hear people talk and they go, well, I was praying like this. And God said, go left, right? You go, what? He said, yeah. He said, I got to this corner and I said, Lord, which way do you want me to go? He said, God goes left. And they go, and I went left. And then I went another, you know, 200 yards. God, do you want me to go right? Yeah. It's like a GPS system, right? You're going, wow. And you're listening to people say this and you're going, I want that, you know, but God doesn't talk to me like that. He doesn't say, you know, what color shirt I should have wore. I stood there for five minutes Go, do I wear this one I got for my birthday or do I put on one that, you know, I love, you know, and, and I like to wear every week. And my wife says, honey, you can't wear that. You wore that. Life. Okay. Well, you know, and I understand why God gave wives. <laughs> They're like the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? She's only looking out for me. She's just trying to protect me. But but it's a relationship, you know. So it isn't so much that God is and and don't don't get me wrong, does God make those kind of, you know, declarations in our life and give us direction? You go absolutely. Absolutely he can. But for the most part, he's not leading you to do something. He it's not it's not directional, it's relational. He's leading you up more than anything else. He wants you to enter into a deeper personal 
relationship with him. And that's what Paul is just, I mean, beside himself here in Romans chapter 8, because remember in Romans chapter 7, remember I shared with there's 47 personal pronouns, you know, he's struggling, you know, in his life, and he's going, you know, I, me, me, I try to do good, I can't do good, I, 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 you know, doing the Christian life, you know, doing the religious life, he's like, oh, man, it just wears me out. And he goes, but when I, my eyes were open, you know, when he had that experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, God opens his eyes. You go, what happens? He goes, thanks be to God who, what? Gives us the victory. You don't earn the victory. You didn't say, hey, I went out and I did this and I did this and I did this. It wasn't doing, right? That's religion. Relationship is Christianity. What God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, when I look at this, you know, I mean, here's the number one thing. You can think in Romans chapter eight of all the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He wants to bring you to a place that you recognize God as your father, because that'll change everything in your life. And God, God knows that, you know, I mean, he wants to reveal to you and to me that we are children of God, that, that we belong to God. You know, we think about, you know, Easter is coming, right? And we've done for years, you know, the, a theme, Easter changes everything. And you go, why did Easter change everything? I want you to think about this for a second. Why did Easter change everything? You think about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You go, but what changed because of the resurrection was our relationship with Jesus. That's what changed. And, and you think about what he said in John chapter 20 and verse 17. And I love this. Remember, uh, on the Easter morning, that first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene goes to the, to the tomb, right? She's going there to do what? To anoint the Lord's body. But, you know, the stone's been rolled away. There's an angel sitting there. And Mary goes in, and she doesn't recognize Jesus. She thinks Jesus is the gardener, right? And all of a sudden, she, you know, hears his voice. And Jesus says to her, because remember, she falls at his feet. She's like basically going, hey, you got away from me once. You're not getting away from me again. You know, and it's a, it's a beautiful picture there at that Easter morn. But in verse 17, it says, Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended, he says, to my father. He says, but go, and listen, listen carefully to what he says. He says, but go to my brethren and say to them. So he calls them brethren here. He didn't call them my disciples. He says he calls them brethren. There's a relationship change. He said, I'm, I haven't yet ascended to my father. We've heard Jesus talk much about his father, right? And now he calls them brethren. And he says, ascending to my father. And he says, your father, your father. It says, and to my God, and to who? And to your God. My Father and your Father, my God and your God. And you think about that. Before the cross, see, we weren't family. We were what? We were friends. Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves or servants. I call you friends. But we weren't family. That didn't happen until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then we became family. It wasn't just, you know, like I said, an act of the cross. It, it was positional. You know, this is what we think about justification, you know, and, and sanctification and glorification. Easter changed everything. Think about the names of God, right? You think of names, we think of, you know, El Shaddai, you know, God Almighty. You know, we think of Adonai, you know, God, you know, Lord Master, you know, Yah, Yahweh, you know, Jehovah, you know, God. Uh, I remember you know, years ago in the early days of Calvary, when we would just memorize these, we would sing about them, you know, in songs, you know, El Shaddai. Remember the song, you know, 
Amy Grant made famous, you know, back in the 80s, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. You know, I think of uh, Jehovah Tiskadu, you know, the Lord, our righteousness. You know, um, Elohim, you know, God. You think of all, all these, these names, you know, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, right? Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. You know, all, all these different names. And we go, they're wonderful. But there's no, in the Old Testament, there's no concept of God as what? Father. I mean, for the Jew, I mean, they wouldn't even say the name of God, you know? And you think about that. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing, you know, when you think about what really took place in the New Testament, what took place at the cross, what took place in the revelation, you know, of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is desirous to do in our lives, even to this very day. You know, the Spirit of God, you know, we, we think about the, the Spirit of prophecy, but it's also the Spirit of adoption. You know, He's working within us where we would learn to cry out to God, Abba, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. You know, like I said, when we were born again, uh, we were given that privilege. We were given that right to cry out to God and to call him daddy. And, and again, it, the world, you could say today, it's pretty safe if you watch the news at all, that the world is suffering, you know, from a lack of fatherhood today. There is a security issue in, in our country with regard to fatherless homes. I was reading a study this last week, just in preparation for today. It was according to the U.S. Census Bureau 2021. It said 18.4 million children in America, one in four live without a biological father, a stepfather, or an adoptive father in the home. It says, consequently, there is a father factor in near all of society's ills facing America today. Maybe you believe that, maybe you don't. Then the study went on and showed there's a four times greater risk of poverty in fatherless homes, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager in a fatherless home, more likely to experience abuse of drugs and alcohol in a fatherless home, have behavioral problems, more likely to suffer abuse and neglect, twice as likely to suffer from obesity, and twice as more likely to, to drop out of high school in fatherless homes. You go, does, does a dad make a difference? Yeah, a humongous difference. You know, studies have, have demonstrated that many of the world's wealthiest people today had terrible relationships with their fathers. And so what did they do? They, they sought security in something tangible. You know, that, that wanting a relationship more than anything else and not being able to have it forced them into a place where they go, well, you know, you know that old expression, money can't buy you love. But for many people, that's their security. It's not in relationships. It becomes into stuff. And yet, we have an invitation from God. And I loved it. You know, I, I put my notes. We have an invitation from God to sit in the Father's presence. And here we are singing about that, you know, worship. Just being in the very presence of God. That, that's what he desires for us. Because once you truly experience the presence of, of God in your life, all the other stuff falls away. You know, again, it's not focusing, you know, uh, again, on all the things that go wrong in our life and all the, you know, we could focus on the sin. And, and scripture doesn't say that. It says fixing our eyes upon who? Jesus. You get your eyes on Jesus, everything else will take care of itself. It's just like the great commandment is to do what? It's to love God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your strength. Because if you love God with everything that, that's in you, you go, what's going to happen to everything else? It'll just fall right into its proper order. But you can focus on all the peripherals, right? Try to, you know, get everything in order. And, and what happens? There's tremendous stress there. There's a, there's a relationship that God desires that we enter into. In the Greek language, you know, the, the word father is, is pater, 
P-A-T-E-R. And I love what it means. It means nourisher, protector, sustainer. And here's Jesus going, when you pray, you pray in this way. Pray to your father. What was he telling the people? Pray to your nourisher. Pray to your protector. Pray to your sustainer. It's a relationship. Remember in the Old Testament when, when God revealed himself to the nation of Israel? It says, how did God, how did God do that? He said, during the course of the day, God revealed himself as what? As a pillar of, of cloud, right? And at night, he revealed himself as a pillar of what? Of fire. And whenever God moved, the people would move. And whenever God stopped, the people would stop. And even the, the pagans, you know, the religions of that day would look at the nation of Israel and they're the ones who ultimately would say it. They'd go, there's something different about the God of Israel because the God of Israel tabernacles with his people, meaning that he goes with them wherever they go. Really, it was the other way around. It was they were to go wherever God went and he would lead them and he would guide them. And so oftentimes people look at that and they go, well, that's what God wants to do. See, when God moves, we should move. When God stops, we should stop. And they go, that wasn't the point. The point was that he was with them. The point is that there's a presence of God that's available in our life. Yeah, it, it's not directional in the sense of going to and fro. It's, it's really being caught up. And I love that in worship today, you know, caught up in your presence, being aware of the presence of God. Not necessarily like every jot and tittle and detail during the course of your day. That, that's not what it's, it's referring to there. You know, look at verse 15. It goes on. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. And, and, and you think about this in the New King James language. You know, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage. What does it say? Again. You had a spirit, you had a, a spirit of bondage and fear. And you go, yes, you go, is, is Paul, and this is an interesting part of the text here, is Paul making a reference to your life before you came to Jesus or when you came to Jesus? And I believe he's talking about when you came to Jesus, not before, that when you came to Jesus, there was, there was, there was a spirit of bondage again to fear. And you go, how does that work? Again, I mean, he's not talking about before, he's talking about when we came to Christ. You know, because what was the first thing that you came to understand when you came to Christ? I don't have my life together. I don't have my act together, right? I, I'm, I'm messed up. Did you, did you ever come to that conclusion? You know, that I had issues. I got problems. Still have issues and problems. But I mean, I was very much aware that, you know, I needed God. And before I came to God, I didn't know that I needed God. I wasn't aware. I wasn't even looking for God, right? And you go, so what happened? And you go, think about the role of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, Jesus said this regarding the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Again, I didn't even live up to my own standard before I came to Christ. So there was no fear in that. There was no judgment. It was God's word through the power of the person of the Holy Spirit doing exactly what God said that he would do. You ever heard someone say, I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit after they've come to Christ, right? And they, re they realized what it was like when they came to Christ. And man, I, the pressure of God was heavy on my life. I was under the conviction. I was under the weight of that. Even, even David said that of himself. 
He said, you know, when he didn't repent, right? He says, man, he's my bones. They, they hurt, you know, within me. So when you think about that, can you, and, and people do, many people do, can you have the spirit of fear and bondage even as a believer? And you go, absolutely. I pray with people every single week that are, that are born again, that still deal with it. That's why Romans chapter 8 is so profound, is helping people come to this place and understand that you've been adopted into the family of God. And you're not just adopted, as we'll look at, but you're also a joint heir with Christ. Those are two very, very profound things that, that Paul is elated about here in Romans chapter 8. It's why people say, that ultimately, that this, this is possibly the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 through 26, puts it like this. It says, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Isn't that exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul? You know, he was, a, he was a holy man, right? I mean, Paul, from a religious standpoint, he had his life together. But here he is, you know, his life becomes undone. When? When he encountered Jesus Christ. And then he realized, man, I've got a problem. And so he writes here in Galatians chapter 3, he says that we might be justified by faith. He says, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Paul was telling us, you know, in Philippians chapter 3? You know, he's talking about the conviction of God that came upon his life. He says, that I considered all things as what? Loss. For the exceeding knowledge of knowing God personally. He goes, but there was a time in my life. And now, for him, that was before he came to Christ. But at that moment that he came to Christ, man... The change began. See, we, we're justified positionally, but sanctification we recognize as what? It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. He who has begun a good work, I tell you every week, is what? He's faithful to complete it. But are you still, and am I still in the midst of the process? And you go, absolutely. You might put it like this. It's not the amount of sin, but the realization of sin. That, that, that's, what, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit, you know, really brings that conviction into our life. You know, because it's not that you, some people's sins are, are greater than others in one sense, you know, of the, the magnitude or the consequence of them. You go, but even for the Apostle Paul, who kept the law as perfectly as someone could keep it, he, he recognized it wasn't the amount of sin in his life, it was the realization of sin. And when he realized that, it was like, remember Isaiah? Isaiah was a pretty eloquent speaker, right? And, and what happens to Isaiah? It says he encountered the Lord, right? He saw the Lord, and, and the veil of, 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 his, of his train filled the temple, right? And, he, and when he encountered the Lord that way, what happened? He says, I am undone. He was in the presence of God. He says, I, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of what? An unclean people. He, he began to see that relationship. He was aware of it. And so here, Paul in Romans chapter 8, he's telling us, he says, but you're not under the spirit of bondage and fear again. You're not under legalism, okay? Now that's, what, that's what he's reminding us, you know, that, you know, that concept that we, we believe, if I do this, maybe God will be pleased with me, right? Because it's do, 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 you know? I, I wrote this in my notes. Religion is about man's goodness being rewarded. Christianity is about man's failures being forgiven. Yeah, totally opposite. We've received a spirit, Paul says, of adoption. 
You know, you can, you can test yourself in one respect. Uh, are you putting away the deeds of the flesh? Can you test yourself in that? Yeah, absolutely. Because you can look at the deeds of the flesh, right? And you go, hey, I used to practice this. I used to do this. And you can look at it and you go, am I still doing those things? And you go, no. And you go, hey, great, pass the test. But what about adoption as a son or a daughter? Is there a test for that? And you go, no. No, because it's a relationship, right? It's a consciousness, you could say. It's subjective, right? It's not objective. It's a positional word when you think about adoption. You know, we're finished with the law. We're now, Paul's saying, we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. You know, and, and, and people will say sometimes, they'll go, you know, Pastor Mike, they go, you know, you just don't understand because my earthly dad was so mean and he was abusive. And you go, that doesn't hurt anything. Actually, that can make it better. Because all of a sudden you can look at, you know, because there's something in you because you had to see at some point that maybe there was a good dad down the street, right? And you go, oh, I wish my dad would, you know, was like that or da 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 And there's something in you that go, there is a good dad out there. There's a better dad out there. And then ultimately, obviously, as you study scripture, you find out, hey, <laughs> there is a dad that loves you more than life itself. That would give his very life and did for your life. That's love. Jesus would say it. No greater love is any man than this. Than what? A man lay down his life for his friends. But in verse 15 there, he says, goes on, he says, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You notice in verse 15 how the language changes. Like I said, sons of God, adoption, children of God. And it's such an important term, you know, that, 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 word adoption there in the New Testament. Paul uses it five, five times. And, and again, what it's saying is to, to be placed, and again, you think about this positionally, because this is what he, the Holy Spirit's trying to do, is bring us into an understanding that positionally we've been placed in a relationship uh, with God as like an adult child. So under Roman law, here's the thing. If you were adopted into a family, okay, you had the same rights and privilege as what? as a natural born, as a natural born child. And what happened at your adoption is everything that you were connected to, think about this, because you can see why people would struggle, right? When you're brought into this new family, your old life, your old name, your old way of life, your connections, everything was dissolved legally. And you took on the name of your new family and all the rights and privileges that come with that new name and that new family are yours. But you can understand, because we all understand that as believers, right? We've been adopted into the family of God, but do we still struggle with our old family, our old nature, our old way of life? And you go, yeah, because we've developed habits. And, it, and we, there's something in us that's drawing us to go back into that. And, and Paul keeps reminding us, you know, be not conformed to this world, right? Don't go back, but go forward by what? By being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So everything that we were singing about today, coming into the presence of God and spending time, it's just like here we are, you know, in fellowship in church today. And hopefully, you know, it's helping all of us, you know, to come to that place where we appreciate all the more, you know, what God's word declares, that we, we are adopted into God's family. He chose us. He chose us in Christ Jesus. And like I said, it, it's, such a, it, it's such a great you know, term when you think about being adopted, you know, to, to have all the rights 
and privileges, you know, of this new family. And to think that, you know, at the death, you know, of, of someone uh, in a family and then, then having the inheritance that is given, if you were adopted into the family, guess what? You got equal part of the inheritance as, again, a natural born child. You were, you were all in. They go, well, you know, I shouldn't get as much because, you know, I was adopted. I could see why, you know, their, you know, their biological children should get more. No, because it's what? It's a legal relationship. It's a positional relationship. And, and, and we enjoy that very thing. And that's why the, the Greek language is so profound in this. And so he uses this language, Paul does, of adoption to help us recognize that we've been placed into this relationship with God. We have received, then he says, the spirit of, what's the word? Adoption. Say that, adoption. You need, to, you need to remind yourself of that. You've been adopted into the family of God. And with that, you have all the privileges. Now you go, I don't feel that way. I feel abused. I feel, you know, and people do that. You can be a victim of your past or you can become what? A victim of your future. And again, and what God wants us to do is become a victim of our future. So verse 15 goes on. It says, so you have not received, think about this, a spirit that makes this from the NLT, makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him what? Abba. Abba Father. You know, it's an Aramaic term. And uh, it's also a Hebrew term as well. But it, again, it, it's an intimate term. It's not what, what you see used, you know, in, in Israel today. They, they didn't teach this in the Talmud, you know, to Jewish children. Um, like I said, wouldn't even use God's name, you know, especially in an intimate form here. But you could go to Israel today, and what do you hear children saying if they're playing in the street? And you hear them, they go, Abba, Abba, Abba. You know, it's Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And, and here, you know, Paul is, is saying that, you know, when the Holy Spirit, you know, comes into our life, and he bears witness that we're the children of God. That's the natural response that comes from us is that, that he is our Abba, that he is our daddy. See, for the, the Orthodox Jew, they use the word Hashem, H-A-S-H-E-M. And, and, and it's the name for the name. You know, that's not very intimate, right? When you think about that, the name, you know, they go, because well, it's, it's reverent, right? But, you know, you don't say it, you don't, and to think that, you know, we would call him daddy. That'd be like, <gasps> I can't believe that is so disrespectful. And you go, no, that's what Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, you pray what? Our what? Our father, our, our Abba, our daddy, our father who art in heaven. For the Jew, they would say, you know, uh, the, the name that, that did this or the name that did that, you know, that was, that was as intimate, you know, as it got, you know, with God. And yet Jesus in our relationship, and again, and we'll learn this in the book of Romans. One of the things is with regard to the disciples with the church that we see birth in the book of Acts, God is using the church to do what? To stir Israel to what? To jealousy. Then all of a sudden they start to understand. They go, wait a second, you know, I mean, you know, Abraham, right? You know, David, and we're going, Jesus. And when Jesus brings us into this relationship, we don't just say the name, but we go, Abba, Abba. And they see, and this is the beauty of it. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and in turn they do what? They glorify your father who's in heaven. When they see your relationship with God, that the things that you do, you do in love. 
Jesus said, no, you know, by this, all men will know you're my disciples because you have what? Love one for another. Yeah, that they would see the love of Christ. That's one of the, the great ministries of the church traveling to Israel is being a light to the Gentiles, stirring them up, you know, as Paul would say. And it's such a, a wonderful, wonderful revelation for us. Verses 16 and 17 in Romans 8 goes on, and this is the NLT. It says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Let me read this in, in the New King James Version as well. It says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So you think about, you know, what is the Holy Spirit desiring to do here? You know, to affirm us, to remind us, to encourage us that what? We're God's kids, that we're his children. That, that is one of the, the main goals of the Holy Spirit working in your life, is to keep affirming you, encouraging you, reminding you as you go through this life that you have an Abba, that you have a dad that you have a father in heaven who loves you. And again, bringing us to that place where we recognize that we are joint heirs with Christ. It reminds me of the, you know, when you think about reading the Bible over and over and over and over again and, and, and just being encouraged by it, where some people go, oh, like I said, I, I've read it one time, you know. And I have. Have you ever had somebody tell you, that? oh, I read the Bible once. What'd you get out of it? Eh. You go, wow. It kind of reminds me of that, that joke about the, the husband and wife that go for marriage counseling. And uh, the wife is the one who obviously wanted the counseling. And uh, the pastor says, well, you know, what's, what's wrong? And he, she says, my husband doesn't love me. And he goes, well, how do you know he doesn't love you? She goes, he never tells me he loves me. So she said, okay. So they sit down and he says, you know, so we're here today because your wife says that, you know, she doesn't think that you love her. And she says, you know, that you never tell Tell her that you love her. And he says, can I ask you how long you've been married? And he says, almost 40 years. Wow. He says, well, you wouldn't think. He looks at the wife. He says, you wouldn't think that, you know, that you could last this long if he didn't love you. And he goes, is your wife correct in her saying that, you know, you never tell her that you love her? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, could you tell me why you don't tell, tell her that you love her? And he said, listen. He said, I'm a man of my word. He said, on the day that we got married, I looked right at her and I said, I love you. And if anything changes, I'll tell you. And he goes, and nothing's changed. You know, and you go, and it's that, you go, but there's something, you, you know, that you can go, oh, I can appreciate that. But then there's another part of it that you go, you know, we all like to hear it, you know, every once in a while, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, to be, that's why we have birthdays and anniversaries and stuff. And we say, you know, I love you. And, and that's really, I mean, you think of what the Holy Spirit is doing here in Romans chapter 8. Is, is affirming, is encouraging us, is reminding us over. Do we need to be reminded of that? Yes. In this life, in this world, then you can, you can see where if you've come from a legalistic background where you just tried and tried and tried, this is where the Apostle Paul, like, that's what he's saying, you know, that Romans, you know, chapter seven, that wishing to do good. I wanted to please God. I tried my very best, but I fell on my face. And then to come to that place where, remember, you read it in context, right? Unfortunately, because chapters, we, we read pieces at a time. But you read the big picture. That's why I always tell you, whatever book we're in, just keep reading it, right? Just read it. Because you'll get ahead of me, and you'll be behind me, and you'll get, oh, and all of a sudden, you know, the Lord will just reveal that to you. And you go, okay, I get it. Is that we are children of God. God has brought us 
into this relationship. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. And we've been adopted into his family. And I'm not just in God's family. He's my Abba. He's my, my dad. But I'm also a joint heir with Christ. And you think about it, what, what does it mean to, to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ? He says, you know, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are joint heirs with Christ. You know, in John chapter 17, verse 26, think about this, joint heirs with Christ. And I love this. Jesus has a prayer for us in John chapter 17, that we would know that the father loves us every bit as much as he loves the son. I want you to think about that for a second, that God the Father loves you every bit as much as he loves his own son. Why? Because you've been adopted into the family of God and you are a joint heir with Christ. And don't, don't believe Pastor Mike, okay? Let, let's, let's look at this. In John chapter 17, verse 26, look what Jesus himself says. He says, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. I'll tell you, if you don't have that highlighted in your Bible, you better highlight it. I mean, and park on it, and just think on it, and meditate on it. He says that, again, the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. That God loves you every bit as much as he loves Jesus. Why? Because you've been adopted. If you're in Christ Jesus, you've been adopted into the very family of God and you are a joint heir of promise. And you go, and it's going to take a lifetime for that to totally sink in and settle in. John chapter 14, you know, verses two and three. So we, we I've, I've been sharing this, you know, uh, we're doing a memorial here for a lady named Barbara who just went home to be with the Lord. Um, in a couple of weeks. And, and I remember sitting with her before, you know, she uh, had cancer, terminal cancer, and, and, and remind her, just saying, you know, here's what Jesus said. In my father's house, my father's house are many mansions, right? He says, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Where's Jesus preparing a place? Where? You can say it in the father's house? No, no. Oh, that's for the 144,000. You guys, you're out in left field. He's, you know, <laughs> I'm teasing. Yes, you're in the father's house. I mean, think about that. In the father's house. I mean, you know, you see you walk in and, you know, I always like that. This is my favorite, favorite, favorite youth pastor joke of all time was, you know, uh, you, know you always think of those stories of heaven, right? So the, the, there's a guy who drives a taxi. You've heard this one. And he, he is in heaven and he's there. There's a pastor and they're all, a bunch of people all died in the same day and they're all in heaven. And one by one, uh, this golf cart, Peter comes by in this golf cart and he picks him up and he goes up this golden, you know, path. And, uh, and so he tells this, uh, this cab driver, he says, you know, hey, let me, let me show you uh, uh, where you live. And all of a sudden, you know, the beautiful clouds, not dark clouds, but beautiful clouds open and this like array of light shines down on this mansion. And he goes, that's your house. And, he, and so the pastor looks at me and goes, what did you do? He goes, I was a cab driver. He goes, oh my gosh. He goes, cab driver? Yes. He goes, I was a pastor. He goes, I can't wait to see what I got. And so Peter takes the cab driver up the hill, drops him off his mansion, comes back, picks up the pastor. The pastor's like, yeah. 
And all of a sudden, down in this valley, you know, there's like fog, like from the from the ocean, you know, and and it kind of parts a little bit. And there's a shack just on the side of a hill, and and the pastor sees it, and he's and Peter drops him off there, and he goes, "Oh, wait a second, wait." He goes, "I don't get it." He goes, "The cab driver, he's got a beautiful mansion at the top of the hill, and I was a pastor for twenty some odd years, and." I get a little shack. I mean, what gives? He goes, Pastor, it's pretty simple. He said, when the cab driver, when he drove, people prayed. He goes, when you preached, when you preached, people slept. And, and you think about it, you go, and, and it's this understanding of Jesus prepared a place. I mean, think about this. I mean, of all the things that, that should excite us in this life, that he's preparing a place for us. That we, again, it's not, you know, I tell you, heaven is heaven because what? Because Jesus is there. And hell is hell because Jesus isn't there. And he goes, and I'm preparing a place for you that you can be with me. That you can be with me. It's all about a relationship, okay? Join ears. We're family. You ever said, Sister Sledge. How many of my age and older? You know, Sister Sledge. You come, we are family. Is that to play? I want that to play in your head. You read that. It was, a, it was a great song. I looked the lyrics up to make sure. And they were just talking about sisters that, you know, they live in, in a great relationship and they enjoy life together. And people look at them and they go, oh, you guys are so happy. And they go, because we're family. And, and that's exactly what, you know, God has for us. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're family because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. It says, speaking to the Holy, Holy Spirit, it says, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take, and here's the key, joint heirs, he will take of mine and what? Declare it to you. You ever heard the expression, you know, what's mine is yours and what's yours is ours or how's it go? You know, and that's how it is with Jesus. All that is the father's is the son's. And all that belongs to the son, he gives to us. You know, the last one I want to, share with you before we close is it's one that you know I've, I've utilized a few times here in our study in Romans and it's the story of the prodigal son because you know I, I get it myself I understand it um, you know you can struggle with you know being a child of God like Paul in Romans 7 you can go man the wishing's there and if you've come from a religious background you, you understand the bondage, you know, that, and, and the fear, uh, because you know, you're, you're working so hard to try to please God. And it's only God himself that can bring you to that place by the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, where you enter into this relationship with God. That's not based on what you've done. It's based upon what Christ has done for you. And, and again, and it's not doing, 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 but it's being, 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 you know, um, like I said, you can take a test on, looking at the deeds of the flesh and you can go, okay, I've conquered this and I've conquered this. And you go, but to, to really have that sense of sonship of being adopted into the family of God, it's, it's, it's more like this, you know, is there a test of love in the truest sense? And you go, no, you, you know that you love because it's just, it, it's, 
it's an experience. It's a relationship. It's, it's just that you know that you know that you know. People go ask all the time. They go, you know, Mike, how did you, you know, how did you know Lee was the one? And you, I would just say, well, I knew that I knew. I mean, I just knew. I knew in my knower. And they go, well, that doesn't help me. And I go, well, you know, if when you get married, it'll, you'll know. It'll be. And so it's fun. You see people later on. You go, well, how did you know? And they go, you're right. I just, I just knew that I knew. I, my knower, I knew. And then people that aren't married, they go, well, how's that work? And you go, you just know. You know, and that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's bringing us into this relationship that we recognize that we've been adopted into the family of God and that we're joint heirs with Christ Jesus. But I, I think of the story of the prodigal son because it's Jesus telling the story. He wants us to understand the father's love. That it isn't, you know, like I said, we can focus so much on doing and we realize, you know, that doing is about rewards. And we think if I do enough, then God will reward me. And as I shared with you, you know, the essence of Christianity is forgiveness, is that we've failed. Remember, Romans chapter 8 starts with, therefore, there is now no condemnation, and it ends with what? There is no separation, that nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. But I don't know too many believers that when they fail and when they fall, even after coming to the knowledge of truth, don't struggle with, you know, either am I saved, you know? Does God really love me? He doesn't love me as much as he loves John Jones. I can tell you that, you know, and you can look at it ah, and you, and you can struggle with that. And then you read a story like the prodigal son that Jesus is telling you. He goes, let me tell you a story about my dad. And here's a father that has two sons and he's got one that's a prodigal that wishes his dad was dead and takes his inheritance, goes as far to the opposite end of the world that he could get from his father. And he wastes all of his money on prodigal living. And then it says something, verse 17 through 24, it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son, that relationship. He said, make me like one of your hired servants. That makes sense to all of us, doesn't it? Makes perfect sense. It says, so then he arose and he came to his father. But here is what we don't understand about the father. He says, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. What did the father say? He says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring out the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. And how does it? How does it end there in verse 24? He says, for this, my son, my son. The relationship never changed with regard from the father's heart. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It says, and they began to make merry. See, the son was willing just to become a servant, right? I've lost my position. I've lost my place, but the father wouldn't have anything of it. He said, this is my son. We are adopted into the family of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Even King David, the man after God's own heart, Psalm 73, 26, he says, my flesh 
and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You understood it's a relationship. First Peter 1.4 reminds us, as you are partakers of a divine nature. Divine nature. It's all about a relationship. You know, the mistake that the rich young ruler made in Luke 18, remember he said, you know, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that what people, what, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And what did Jesus tell him to do? He said, well, go sell all your possessions because being a rich young ruler, his relationship was to his money. He said, so get rid of all your money. And basically what he was telling him is, you know, you're, you put your, your faith in the wrong family. You know, you, you were born into wealth and you're trusting money. You're trusting that relationship. He goes, get rid of it all and come into a new family. But what happened, says the rich young ruler, it says, you know, he, he realized, man, I got a lot of wealth. And it says, and he was saddened because he didn't want to give it up. He liked the identity of the family of generational wealth and what it provided. And Jesus wasn't saying, you know, that, hey, money was a bad thing, you know, or possessions were a bad thing. It was about identity. What are you going to identify with? Like I started with, you know, Herman Boone going, Gary, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And that's the question that he's asking me and he's asking you today. Who's your daddy? Are you adopted into the family of God? The way you, you reach that place is simply by receiving Christ. Opening your heart to him. Because with Christ comes the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes the constant leading, you know, directing, encouraging, affirming, bringing us to that place, convicting, all the things that, that come with, with God. That we would recognize that we are adopted into his family, that we are joint heirs with Christ. And it'll, it'll take, you know, a lot of going over and over and over again. I'll close with this. Some of us have heard it shared in different ways, but it was titled the way I saw it this week. It was called My Abba. It says, he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation, creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised, but brought healing. He was pierced, but eased pain. He was persecuted, but brought freedom. He was dead and brings life. He has risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him. And leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. Nero couldn't crush him. The new age can't replace him. Stephen Hawking can't explain him away. He is the light. He is the love. He is the longevity. And he is the Lord. He is goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and he is God. He is holy, righteous, powerful, and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging. His mind is on me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord, and he rules my life. I serve him because his bond is love, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and his goal for me is abundant life. I follow him because he is the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders, and his goal is a relationship with me. 
He will never leave me nor forsake me, never mislead me or forget me, never overlook me and never cancel an appointment in his appointment book. When I fall, he lifts me up. And when I fail, he forgives me. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am lost, he is the way. When I am afraid, he is my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I am hurt, he heals me. When I am broken, he mends me. When I am blind, he leads me. When I am hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he's with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. And when I face death, he will carry me home. He's not just my God. He's my Abba, my father, my daddy. I love that. Amen. We serve a good, good God. You know, may he just, you know, as we read through this, and I just want to encourage you, you know, just meditate on those, those words this week, you know, that you are adopted into the family of, of Christ, joint heirs together with Jesus. Let, let that sink in. And then you like Paul, you just go, man, you know, I mean, it's like David going, you know, in the Psalms, this is just too wonderful. You know, it's just, a, this is a great, great chapter. You know, if we just could, if we could just grasp its truth and truly receive all that God has for us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, just pray this week as we go out from this place that God, you would just solidify deep within our hearts, the place that we have in your heart that we can read a passage that says, you know, God so loved this world. And yet, Lord, we can sit here today and we can think about what you went through, that you didn't even spare your own son who you love so much because your love for us. To, to think of that, that you, you allowed your son to suffer, as we'll, we'll study next week, and to die upon a cross so that we could experience not just freedom, but we could experience life. Oh, God, that we would just come to understand your love for us. And the freedom that we have that's in Christ Jesus, that, Lord, we would say, like the song of old, that this world has nothing for me. It really doesn't. And, and there is nothing like being in your presence. And, Lord, just thank you for today. Thank you for just a sweet time in worship and singing your praise and just sitting before you. And then just opening your word and just being reminded of who we are to you and how much you love us and what you have afforded us to, to be able to enjoy a relationship. And so, Lord, we just exalt you. We lift you up, Lord Jesus, knowing that, again, you're the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except by you. Um, you're what the Holy Spirit continues to bring back to our heart and our mind to remind us, Lord, that everything that we have need of, your hand is provided. And so, Lord, help us to not look to anything or anyone else, but, Lord, this week to look to you. We love you. We bless you. We praise you as we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus. All God's children said, amen. Amen. We'll invite you to stand to your feet. We'll send you out with song today and be blessed as you go.